Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. And today, before we get going, I want to talk about a couple people that have passed away recently who mean a whole lot to Connor and I. First, let's talk about James Conn, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, simply one of my favorite, like just the super masculine, dominant male actors of all time. Uh, we just talked about him about a month ago on our godfather episode and we both talked about how much we love sonny corleone uh i'm not on our main uh wednesday film guys and podcast very often but one that i was on a little while back was an episode i chose a movie i chose and it was thief 1981 michael mann movie with uh with james con jimmy and you know rollerball and the gambler and um all the way to stuff like bottle rocket and elf I just, I, I fucking love this guy so much. And, you know, there's this generation of actors that, actors and actresses that are that are just inevitably going to, to leave, leave Earth at some point. And it seems like they're kind of racking up really fast. And uh, this year has been rough as far as if you're, if you're a cinephile, if you're a big movie fan, it's just rough. It's not fun to hear about this stuff. But uh, I do think it's always important to, just kind of honor them uh even if even if jimmy Kahn wasn't the you know <laughs> the easiest guy to work with uh and had his you know his demons as we all do um i think his talent and his swagger and everything that he just kind of stood for on screen was so impressive and uh he's he's, he's a legend he's a legend lost for sure yeah jimmy from the bronx gonna miss him forever he was just he had this uh this aggressive quality. Like he just looked like someone you wouldn't want to fuck with. Yeah. And he brought that to every performance. I know a lot of our generation knows him from elf. Yeah. And, uh, he's, you know, as, as I think Walter Hobbs was the character. Yeah. And he's just, even then just such a gruff, a, you know, heart unapproachable figure, but with a heart of gold, there was always that heart of gold. And I, um, I remember I recently watched a nineties action film called eraser for the first time. Ah, yeah. And it wasn't the best movie. I mean, you know, there's a scene where Arnold shoots a gator in the face and says, your luggage. It was not exactly A-plus material. But James Caan plays the villain, plays Arnold's, like, uh, intelligence buddy who's actually, like, selling secrets. And he's the best part of the movie. Khan is you know, just this great character actor who can play slimy, he can play heroic, he could do everything. And I'm, I'm going to miss him. He was, you know, one of the last few pieces of the original Godfather still with us. And uh, yeah, rest in peace. Yeah. And uh, I'll let you, I'll let you talk about the next guy. Uh, I think you, you have a deeper connection to him than I do. So I know today's been rough for you because we're recording on Friday. So, you know, um, this news is a little bit fresher to us right now than you'll hear this on Sunday. So um, Polly. Yeah, Tony Sirico. This was a shock. Uh, I'm a big Sopranos fan, and I know you are too. Yeah. And Polly Walnuts is just was one of the best characters on that show. Just an absolute idiot, but also a monster, and you know, fiercely loyal. Like one of the few people of Tony Soprano's family who didn't fuck him over at one point. He's just he was the guy, and. He just, you know, that quaffed hair, the white streaks, the, you know, the fucking spray tan, the, oh, like he was just, he was the, the, he was everything you pictured an Italian mobster in 1999 looking like. 
Yeah. He played that role so well. Uh, I was, a, yeah, I was a huge fan. I didn't know he was as old as he was. He was 79 when he passed. And uh, yeah, just one of those guys, you kind of just think, oh, he'll always be there. He'll always be around. He's Paulie yeah. Walnuts. Nothing's going to happen to Paulie. He made, yeah. he made it out of the show alive. He'll be fine. Exactly. Yeah. He got through yeah. seven seasons of The Sopranos. <laughs> so, yeah, that was just a, a big shock. And I've been kind of down in the dumps all day since I heard about that. It's been like, ah, fuck. So, yeah, I wanted to, you know, shout out two awesome alpha male badass actors who gave us some great work. Yeah, truly, truly. And it's just crazy how on this show... Um, we it seems like we'll talk about someone and then shortly after we'll 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 get this like devastating news um it's happened a few times this year and it's it's just fucking weird and these guys who do really well at some point you know you know like for for jimmy Kahn, you know just one of the greatest 70s runs of of anybody in the industry um and it's like, yeah, I mean, that was 50 years ago. So, you know, you just think about it. You're like, well, this guy was probably in his 30s or 40s while he's doing all this stuff, while he's playing Sonny. Um, and inevitably, they're, you know, they're, they're going to leave. They're going to leave this place. You know, death is a part of, a part of life and fucking sucks, you know. Um, it's not, 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 not the best stuff to, to talk about, uh, but it also is cool, again, to honor them, kind of like a, you know, memoriam type thing. And we, we always try to do that when we can on, on, on our shows. And Jimmy Kahn, especially, he's an Oscar guy. You know, he's nominated for, for The Godfather. And my, I gave my award to him. You know, my Tarantino award was, like, dedicated to him. And uh, I'll, I'll always remember that. And I'll keep watching his movies forever. You know, <laughs> like, I... The guy kicked ass, and Polly Polly is undoubtedly one of the like funniest <laughs> characters on on The Sopranos. He he is like you said, you know that you know those episodes on It's Always Sunny where they're like making fun of them. Like he's like the prototype with like the tracksuit, and he has the um like when he's sitting outside like drinking his coffee, smoking a cigarette, he has like the mirror so he can tan. He's <laughs> just like what this guy's incredible like incredibly well written incredibly well executed character uh <laughs> he was the man and he you know he just used his hands a lot and got real animated uh just incredible stuff he makes he makes me smile you know i love the confidence in which he would tell stories he knows nothing about like when he's talking about sun Tzu and he's like oh yeah sun to Tzu, the guy <laughs> like the, the art of war i know everything about that like and everyone knows he's full of shit but he's too high up in the family for, for them to call him on it it's it's wonderful. And he just, yeah. And when he would, you know, snap, I mean, dear God, like he was yeah. scary game and time. Yeah. yeah. For that, you know, to have that kind of, you know, back and forth that internal struggle really kind of represented what that show was about. And I, yeah, I loved him. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Had to, had to open the show with that. Uh, even though we have a massive episode here, um, it's episode one ten. Good God. Uh, here we are. We're doing another Best Picture Showdown. We've done we've done a, a lot of these now. And we kind of have our footing, I think, with just how how much fun and seamless these episodes seem seem to come for for Connor and I. Uh, and this one is this one's really interesting. It's 1986, the 59th Academy Awards. Uh, it saw Platoon win four Oscars. 
um, at the ceremony, including Best Picture, of course. Uh, it beat Children of Lesser God, Hannah and Her Sisters, The Mission, and A Room with a View. Uh, we'll rank those movies in a little while. Um, we're also going to look at the 59th Academy Awards and go through some categories at the end. Uh, but before we dig into Platoon properly, I, uh, this is your first time watching it, and we've hinted at this more than any other movie on this entire show. Uh, I remember when we did the Lighthouse episode, we were doing top five Willem Dafoe performances, and my brother, Jeremy, God bless him, he, he had Platoon. He had Sergeant Elias as one of his five favorite Willem Dafoe performances, and you were like, oh, I haven't seen that. And he was like, what? You know, And it was the exact same reaction I had when I found out whatever two year or two ago when you, I knew you hadn't seen this. And I was like, oh, man, this is just right up Connor's alley. So I still haven't talked to you about what you think about the movie. So you watched it today. Yes. We're recording right now. What would you think of 1986, Oliver Stone's Platoon? Well, first of all, uh, this is a monumentous day in film gas and productions history i have seen platoon it's we did it here i am we can stop now mission accomplished um it was good it was interesting uh it was very dark and yeah i love the subject matter of you know showing the dark side of vietnam because so many war movies especially you know out of hollywood are so fucking american propaganda woohoo you know Eagle American flag bullshit. So I liked seeing that just like, yeah, it was a vicious inhuman war that destroyed so much innocence. And uh, I'm also a big fan of Tropic Thunder. And I didn't realize how many lines from that fucking movie are from Platoon. <laughs> so I was laughing at things like when the machine breaks down, we break down. Yeah. I had to pause and I just was laughing my ass off because yeah. I always thought that was from Tropic Thunder. You're like, oh, Tropic Thunder is paying homage. Uh, yeah, now I, little I, satire. I, I see so much more in that movie now, which yeah. is just great. Um, I don't think it's my favorite Vietnam movie. I don't understand why some people consider it to be. I thought there were, I thought there were too many characters. Yeah, uh, I think we could have could have trimmed that down a bit. Um, but I did have a lot to like about it. I haven't reviewed it yet, but I do plan on giving it an eight. And uh, it was good. Uh, I I liked it. So yeah, that's good. That's yep. good. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I I uh, I've owned this movie for for well, my, my older brother Jeremy again to name drop. Um, he owned this when we were growing up, and so I watched it with him sometime probably in eighth or ninth grade, and you know it, it blew my mind for sure. But I kind of. It was kind of a take it or leave it like, uh, you know, yeah, it's good, but I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, go around to my friends and say, you have to see this movie. Um, and so I've always been like, I think it's one of the weaker best picture winners I've seen. I always kind of just had that assumption, but then watching it last night, just kind of, you know, had, had all the lights off and it was by myself and got to just kind of turn off and watch this, 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 this crazy crazy dark and intense but really entertaining movie um I, I like kind of fell in love with it uh and i have a whole new perspective on it and i read a lot about oliver stone today about um he he fought in this war uh 1967 he was in the 25th Inf infantry and uh saw 
saw this firsthand. Uh, a lot of these characters are based on people he knew and uh, the experiences he had of the, the, the kind of hellhole that was, you know, Vietnam, the, the Vietnam war. So I thought that was really cool. And, and then I made the connection like, Oh, well, yeah, he's the guy who also did born on the 4th of July. Uh, and then I was like, Oh yeah. And he also directed heaven and earth. So he has a Vietnam trilogy uh, dedicated to his time uh, serving over there. So crazy, you know, that he does that and then comes back. Um, he, he served in 1967 and then shortly after, you know, in the, in the early seventies, he started making movies. Uh, then the eighties, he really started clicking, you know, and he makes uh, Salvador platoon, wall street, talk radio, born on the 4th of July, the doors, JFK, heaven and earth, natural born killers, Nixon, U-turn, any given Sunday, world trade center, W savages. Like this guy just hasn't stopped. And he, he's a, he's a veteran. He's a proper veteran. There is no, there is no documentation or historical evidence that a Vietnam veteran who actually not, you know, not, not was just in the army, but like fought on the ground in, in, you know, Southeast Asia, he, he was there and there's no documentation of someone like him making a movie. And so this is, this is a historical kind of film, I think. And it just gave me a whole new respect for him and for, for this film itself. Uh, I'm with you. I do think there are, there are a lot of characters at play here and the movie's really, it's only two hours. It's short for Oliver Stone. And uh, I would be okay with it taking another 30 or 45 minutes to use some time for development because it's really entertaining. It's really like, it's like really dark, but it's gorgeous. If that makes sense, the lighting is crazy good. Cinematography is off the chain. The production design is, is, is so surreal. And I would be okay with watching more of this, being in this world a little bit more, getting more from, you know, Keith David's King character. I love, love that character. I wish I could have got a little more, uh, Johnny Depp, uh, his character Lerner, who who is like a translator, I would love to get to know more about him. So I'm, I'm with you. I do think it has its has its issues, um, and I've read I've read negative reviews about it, this and that, and uh, that it could be looked at as some kind of propaganda. But for me, I'm I'm not someone who's fought any, at, at any given point for our country. Probably never will, you know. Um, so these movies are kind of a look into this kind of a life, even if that's even if that's far-fetched, uh, that's just how I kind of view them. So I'm not crazy about this kind of subgenre of war films. I don't have a lot of favorites, but this is up there. This is up there for me. So I'm very excited to talk about it, give it some awards. But uh, yeah, I, th- I thought that Oliver Stone stuff was fascinating. I had no idea he was a, he was a veteran on the ground. That's, that really paints Platoon in a completely different light. Like It makes me wonder how much of that came from a real place. And that's... Yeah. I don't Jesus Christ. Yeah, uh, there's 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 some scenes where where they I mean, they completely destroy a village, you know, and just leave it for dead and it's it a lot of American perspective war movies will be like we fought the good fight and we helped those people in the village when the, Oliver Stone's like now we're like when you're in war, you're, you're, you're a monster, you're an animal. And th- that's like, what's happening at one point you have Charlie Sheen, you have Taylor saying animals, you're all animals. You know, he's coming, coming to that realization of like, 
what what war does to a person, like what it can do, what it's capable of. It's it's something you can kind of talk about and think about forever. Yeah, for sure. And I I love that Stone, you know, there's you can't say anything about like, you know, oh, you don't know what it was like or uh, you know, you, yeah. you're lying. Like, no, nah, man, like he was there. And that's just, yeah, I got to watch it again. I want to watch platoon again now with that mindset. Uh, so maybe that'll happen soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when you, when you know, what's going to come with that, you know, kind of like, you know, a moment I'm talking about, there's a huge, huge moment, like a little over halfway through the film that when you know, it's coming, it's like, man, you, you really, you, you see Behringer, you see Barnes losing his mind, you know, like, and it's, it's, it's fucking nuts. So yeah, I, yeah, this, I, I, I give it a nine, you know, I, I really respect this movie and I, I, I changed my mind on it being kind of a quote unquote weaker best picture winner or not as good as other stuff from the year. You know, I'd stack this right up against my favorite movies from 1986, aliens, the fly, uh, blue velvet. It's, it's right up there. It's just as good. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Cause I'm kind of at the place you were when you first saw it. Like those are pretty much my thoughts right now that like, I wouldn't rank it among the best. I, I don't know if I'd recommend it. Like it, I'm glad I watched it, but is this like a monumental classic in my head? I don't think so yet, but maybe this is one of those films that requires multiple viewings to fully appreciate. And I've, we know that we've come across those. So, uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. This is one I want to, I want to revisit for my, like just in my own personal time. Cause yeah, right now I'm thinking like I've, I've seen better, but you know, I don't know. I don't know. Are, aren't you working your way through all of Oliver Stone's stuff? Um, not like intentionally, but yeah, not like as a project, just gradually when I come across it. So I've yeah. seen, I've seen a good chunk of his work. Maybe, maybe once you get to that, that end, you finish that, maybe come back around a platoon. I don't know. Yeah. That might be a good idea. Yeah, because you like Born the Fourth of July, right? That's, I do. That's a fantastic movie. Yeah, I like that one a lot too. I've always thought, like, why haven't we done that on a Fourth of July like weekend? We will one day. We will. I think and, we, we had one year where Fourth of July was on a Sunday and we didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. We we will one day. I don't. I think my thing was like early on. It was oh well for Halloween let's do this scary movie and for Easter let's do this Bible related movie. It's like. Yeah. We have forever. We don't have to do it all in one year, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we can, we can, we can take it easy, you know. Um, <laughs> it's 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 gonna be all right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man, I'm 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 glad I'm glad you you've seen it now. You know that platoon is on your uh, resume. So let's let's dive right in. Let's talk about platoon. What we really really dig about it. Give it some awards, and and then we'll move from there. So um, you know the drill. Tarantino for best quote. Ennio Morricone for best uh, music moment or piece of score. Uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman for the best performance of the movie and the Roger Deakins for the best scene of the movie. So I'll let you kind of take it away here with your Tarantino. Really well-written movie. It is very well-written. The, the dialogue is very real. The uh, I loved uh, Charlie Sheen's voiceovers. Uh, just, okay. Yeah. What, yeah. What did you think about that? I forgot to bring that up. So obviously we have the other Sheen. 1979 apocalypse now doing the narration a lot of people think this is like a what are you trying to do there you're trying to even think about (laughs) and it's you know it's vietnam (laughs) it's uh it's only seven years later i just think that's a really interesting choice 
I, I don't. All right. So Stone doesn't seem like the kind of guy to like, you know, rip anybody off or homage anybody. I feel like he's very much in his own work. Mm. So I don't think that was intentional. Now, like if there was another Vietnam War movie, like starring Emilio Estevez and he did it, then I'd be like, OK, <laughs> but I don't think so in this case. Uh, Emilio, <laughs> you ever see Hot Shots Part Two? I I have not. I need to though. There's a scene. Uh, Charlie Sheen. That's is the, the that's the like Rambo parody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a scene where Charlie Sheen. They mock that exact situation. Charlie Sheen's the star. He's in Vietnam. He's doing his voiceover, and all of a sudden, Martin Sheen comes over in his boat as his character from Apocalypse Now doing his voiceover, and they look at each other and they're like. And then it clicks, and they both go at the same time. I loved you in Wall Street. <laughs> they give each other a thumbs up. It's one of the most meta movie scenes in history, and I love it. That's fantastic. Good shout. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I did. I, I liked his voiceover. I like it. It, to, it felt like to me the the journal of a man who escaped Nam, and him kind of looking back on just everything he was involved in. And um, I actually knew a guy in high school named. Chris Taylor. So that made me laugh. I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, he wasn't, he, he didn't, he wasn't in Nam. I mean, I was, yeah, <laughs> he wasn't born yet, but he uh, was a senior. I mean, no, he's, <laughs> he was like six, 17. Um, <laughs> I went with um, Taylor's final voiceover, the last lines of the film where he's after everything that's happened, he's being, airlifted out and he's just reflecting and he says i think now looking back we did not fight the enemy we fought ourselves and the enemy was in us the war is over for me now but it will always be there the rest of my days as i'm sure elias will be fighting with barnes for what Ra called possession of my soul there are times since i felt like the child born of those two fathers but be that as it may those of us who did make it have an obligation to build again to teach to others what we know and to try with what's left of our lives to find a goodness and a meaning to this life. Fuck man. Like now that I know stone fought this war, that that's real. And that's, you know, that's him kind of, you know, bearing his soul and laying it all out there. And I, I respect the hell out of that. And I just love that he is, you know, there's kind of a mini war happening in this movie between, you know, Barnes's people and Elias's people and Taylor's just trying to get out of here. Like he's just trying to live. And yeah, you know, he, I love, he reminds us like when we get out, fucking live, like be, you know, and be happy. you got out shit, man. Yeah. You know, I can't even comprehend that kind of hell. No. Oh no. This, this by all accounts, as far as an American perspective, this is, this is, this is like the roughest war where it just, it was just gnarly all the time. And the reason no- they call it the shit. Yeah, yeah, stuck in the shit. Uh, and, and as much as it gets kind of like, you know, we get a lot, like our pop culture gets a lot of humor out of it, like back in Nam, you know, I, I just don't find that too funny when, you know, <laughs> it's, it's it, it really is, you know, just ruined people's mental state and just destroyed, destroyed people's uh, hope for, you know, hope for anything. Well, I think a big part of, why we've been, you know, kind of de- like uh, desensitized to like w- like war in this country. I mean, a we have one every like five fucking years. Yeah, always, you know, broadcast. But also, our films are so gung ho about it. 
we have these yeah. you know, films like Platoon, Apocalypse Now, Full Metal Jacket, you know, Black Hawk Down. Like these are huge box office successes. People watch these movies. It becomes almost fictionalized for people who weren't there. It becomes part of pop culture as a part as opposed to part of history. And that's a big mm. problem. Yeah. Do you ever feel like you contribute to that? All the time. Like yeah. we're doing it right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I, yeah. I think doing a, doing like a silly best picture showdown. And while, you know, while the, the movie that won platoon is quite a quite serious matter, you know? And, and yeah, I do, I do think people definitely look into these as if it's a Batman movie. It's like, this is not, this is not comic book stuff. This is not, you know, these guns are real, you know, it's not kind of these kind of, like they're loaded and ah, oh man, it's fascinating. It creates such an interesting conversation. I think yeah. a movie like this, a it's movie a, that it did so well, it, it, its budget was like 6 million and made almost 200 million, you know, just destroyed and people, people rave about it. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah. The first movie to ever win best picture was a war movie. It's, mm. you know, violence is such a part of our culture that, unless it like directly happens to you, it doesn't feel like it's real. And I think, you know, there's myself included. I've never had anything like that horrible happen to me or, you know, anybody I know about. So to me, it's, it's somewhat fictionalized, Mm. but I know that if, you know, if I had close family who died and, you know, my grandpa was in Vietnam, but he didn't really see combat and he came out relatively unscathed. He tells me stories all the time. So it doesn't feel as horrific to me personally as it would to somebody whose father was killed in Vietnam. Yeah. And I don't know if there's any way to really like rectify that or it's just part of our upbringing. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just part of American nature. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Oh man. Yeah. I, I didn't know, uh, you know, we picked this movie. I think, I think I, 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 I'll admit being kind of guilty of just kind of thinking, oh, this will be just another good episode. But this is the first time we've really, I think, talked about this on this show, like really yeah. dug into something like this. But like, you know, I mean, we've, we've covered a few of these. I mean, like The Godfather, you know. Yeah. The mob violence is real. People were killed yeah. by the mob. Like, that's a real thing. I mean, you know, we did Black Hawk Down. Like, the, you know, that situation in Somalia killed a lot of people. That was a horrific moment. But these aren't documentaries. You know, these are dramatizations. So I feel like it's a different thing talking about the film as it is, you know, than it is to talking about what actually happened. Like in that case, yeah, we shouldn't be glorifying it. We shouldn't be, you know, making jokes about it. But this is a this is a fictional situation, you know? Yeah. So I think that that that's where you can kind of draw the line, or at least that's where I draw the line. Like if I was, you know, one day we're going to do Schindler's list on this show and that's going to be a sad movie, but it also is a bit of a dramatization. Now, if we're doing a documentary on the Holocaust with like actual survivor, you know, uh, stories, then, I mean, I'm, you know, I wouldn't be comfortable like kind of going into that on, on a show like this. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I think we both, like, I think a good example is something like Inglorious Bastards. It's like a movie we both really, really enjoy and both love. 
I think because it embraces the pulp pulpiness of it and the kind of ways you can go with the fictionalization of this time and a certain time and place in history that everybody's aware of. Yeah. But you're, you are allowed to, 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 to fuck with. And obviously we're both into that, you know, uh, if it's done, done well. Uh, so yeah, I, I do think, I do think there is a time and place to kind of talk about it and there's a time and place to, to respect it as well. And I think you can do, I think you can do both at the same time. I think we both are, are aware of what we're talking about. Yeah. But also that also that it's Willem Dafoe and Charlie yeah. Sheen, you know, the, these guys are these guys are acting and we're like allowed to appreciate that. And that's a big you said when it's done right. And that's a big part. Like if this was, you know, all, like if Platoon shows, you know, us winning Vietnam or something and then treats that as fact, then it's like this is horseshit. Like the movie I think of is The Birth of a Nation from 1915. I, yes. Yeah. It's about the Civil War, but the clan are the good guys that yeah that's happen. yeah that's so, some horseshit yeah yeah exactly like you got to have some tact and you got to yeah. actually care about the story you're telling and you know you can tap into real events but if you're going to do that you got to you got to be graceful yeah and, and, and i think it's i don't know i maybe i'm crazy but i do think it's good to recognize that there is just inherent evil all over the world that like we have we have a nasty we have a humans have a nasty nature about them and it comes out in certain scenarios and i think obviously war is one where it's it becomes necessary for these guys to survive it's like that nasty nature has to come out and and that that that's fascinating to watch like my my tarantino you could look at and be like really dude (laughs) like it's it's from it's from barnes it's when barnes knows that all of Elias's people are going to come after him and he's drinking Jack Daniels out of the bottle with his shirt off. And you can see his dog tags hanging down and he's just, it's like this very like, Oh man, look at this big macho dude coming in and he gets up and they don't know that he's right there. Right. They're like, Oh fuck. And Sergeant Barnes says, y'all talking about killing y'all experts. Y'all know about killing. I'd like to hear about it. Potheads. And then he grabs a pipe from one of the guys and takes a big drag out of it. And you're like, oh, my God. And he says, why do you smoke this shit? So as to escape from reality? Me, I don't need this shit. I am reality. There's the way it ought to be, and there's the way it is. Elias was full of shit. Elias was a crusader. Now, I got no fight with any man who does what he's told. But when he don't, the machine breaks down. And when the machine breaks down, we break down. And I ain't going to allow that in any of you, not one. He hands the pipe back and spits on the ground. Y'all love Elias, and you want to kick ass. Yeah, well, here I am, all by my lonesome, and ain't nobody going to know. Six of you boys against me, so kill me. I shit on all of you. And then he, and then he walks out because no one has the balls to, you know, really do it. You know, him, him, him and Taylor, they, they have their squabble, but no one really wants to take this guy out. No one really has the balls to go after Barnes, you know, until, until the end. Uh, when no one's looking <laughs> uh and that, that is the most like macho war movie part of the film is 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 tom berenger just hamming it up and he's like i'm gonna go for this because this is entertaining and in my mind it's the same as what christoph waltz is doing in inglorious bastards where he's like i'm aware of what people find fascinating 
yet so evil out of these these types of characters and these types of people. And for whatever weird reason, I respect that. I don't know what it is, but I I find that to be a fascinating talent to have as an actor. Well, it's you respecting performance. Like you would never yeah. say like you know, yeah. Adolf Hitler had some interesting, you know, way about thinking. Like that's a very different statement. However, you know, Bruno Ganz, who played Hitler in Downfall, did an amazing job. Like that's yeah, totally there you go. Okay. That's where that's you know, yeah. Fan, it's fantasy and reality. Um, yeah. I'm not I'm not a big patent fan. But George C. Scott, give me George C. Scott all day. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I like, I know this is going to sound awfully red of me, but I like a movie that takes America down a few picks. I like, yeah. I like a movie that doesn't show us as, you know, the bald eagle soaring in to save the day. Because most of the time, we're the fucking instigator and we're, we're, we're kind of the monster of the world a lot of times. So I'd like, you know, this movie shows that. And, uh, yeah, I think Barnes kind of represents like the worst qualities of America and Elias represents the best. And yeah. who wins? <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's vicious, but yeah. And Taylor's just kind of trapped in between these two warring ideologies, you know, imperialism yeah. versus isolationism. It's, we keep doing a lot of historical movies and like this just keeps coming out in me. And I, I love that. I can do that here. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, that's a good, it's a good scene for, for Behringer who I have never, I, I'm so like, I know nothing about his career, Tom Behringer. He's one of those guys that has been doing it for like 40 years. And this is, I think this is it that I've seen of his. Interesting. There's gotta be. It's got to be something. I wondered that. I wondered, I was like, I wonder if Connor's, you know, I know you're a big Defoe guy. We both are. But uh, the big chill, Major League, Inception. I forgot he was in Inception. I did see Major League, and that was funny. That was good. I forgot about Major League. So I have seen some. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I know there's some older ones that are kind of, you know, kind of his. He's been in a lot of TV. Yeah. Uh, He was in like Law and Order and shit like that. I watched Gettysburg when I was a kid. And um, he's one of the major players in that. I don't recommend Gettysburg because it is four and a half hours long. Uh, yeah. But it's, you know, it's good. <laughs> if oh, yeah, I forgot. Long, he's, be good. He's, um, he's, he's, he's in Borland on the 4th of July. Not, not, not a lot, but he's in that. Well, I forgot. It just um, seems like, you know, after yeah. an Oscar nomination, usually there's like a career bump. And occasionally there's actors who don't have that. And I feel like Behringer didn't quite get that. Yeah. Yeah, like he turned to TV more often, like TV movies, TV miniseries, series. Defoe became a superstar from this movie. Behringer kind of fell back in the shadows. And I wonder yeah. if that, like, oh, yeah. people just think his character was too fucking evil? Because that can happen. That's, that's possible. And he's got such a specific look with the scars, the scars all over his face. And were those quite, was that makeup? It's quite was frightening. That, was that Behringer? No, that's how he looks. Yeah. Fuck. He's a he's a rough looking dude. What uh, happened? Like how did how did that happen? I'm gonna try to. I don't I don't know. Yeah, definitely definitely look that up. Uh, yeah, there's like it looks like just a line coming down his face. It's really wild, and it, it, it obviously adds to his his Barnes character. Just kind of like, what has this guy been through? Yeah, uh, and yeah, and yeah, he he's he, he has a few scenes where it's like, okay, yeah, these are. This is kind of what you think of when you think of a sergeant in the Vietnam War from the United States side. 
this guy is just ruthless. He talks about it like it's his war, like there's not other, you know, waves of infantry coming in as his backup or before him. He just thinks this is this is mine. It's very similar to Patton in that way, where he's like, I I am running this. <laughs> it's like, yeah. dude, chill out. <laughs> uh, good news, it is makeup. It, it was okay. It is makeup. Uh, thank God, because I was like, what the hell happened to him? <laughs> Uh, no, that is that is good news. That's an a, hour that's to apply. Some pretty impressive makeup. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I believe that was a real scar. Obviously, oh, no. so did I. I thought was I was convinced. I was like, no, that's got to be real. <laughs> <laughs> it also just fits him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. God damn. Uh, yeah. Good stuff. Well, um, does yeah. I, I like the two quotes we picked. I definitely flirted with the one you chose. Um, just the, those final lines of the movie before we before we go to dedicate it to all the people who served yeah. and, and died in, in Vietnam. Good, good touch. I had one line I was I almost had. It was um, when Taylor's trying the uh, the weed for the first time, and uh, Elias tells him, uh, "Feeling good's good enough." Yeah, I love that's that. Good, that's that should be on a T-shirt. That's a great line. He, yeah, God, Elias is the man. Uh, <laughs> I'll be talking about him soon. Uh, the Ennio Morricone Award. What do you got? So I'm not going to lie. Music kind of got on my nerves. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of this score. Not a big it's fan. It's one piece of music that they just yeah. use for every scene. I was yeah. like, this is kind of lazy. Like, like, there's a movie we're going to be talking about later called The Mission. If you put Inya Morricone as the composer for Platoon, I, it would take it to a crazy different level because The Mission without without any Morricone, falls greatly, greatly. Yeah. He is the best part of that movie. That's true. But if you put him, I would rather have him Platoon because then Platoon could be like a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes, or just maybe a little variety. Maybe the guy who did the music could like, I don't know. Uh, what's his name? George Delarue, I think, is the one who, get, who did this movie. Um, so I just, I, I picked a moment of that music. I went with the opening credits because I think it, it, it tells you right off the bat this is not going to be like Apocalypse Now. This is not going to be your glorification of war movie. This is going to be a glimpse into hell itself. So buckle up. And I appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, yeah, one of my favorite things about Platoon is that it wastes no time in getting getting into like into the shit and to where we hear you know Elias say. No, something's gonna happen. Like something's bound to happen out there. Do you really want this new guy, Chris? You know, Taylor. Do you want him with us when something bad's gonna happen? We have to be on watch. And then, of course, something bad happens. Uh, Junior falls asleep, and then he says, "Taylor's the one who fell asleep." And, and it, immediately, the first ten minutes, you're like, "Okay, like I buckle up. You're you're in for a ride. You're in for a pretty serious take on this war, not just." It's it, it's so much different than than a lot of the other Vietnam movies that take their time, do a little bit of character development. There's pros and cons, but I prefer jumping right in. Let's fucking get down nitty gritty and get to where we're going. So uh, I love that. And it, it makes Taylor seem more disoriented. He's like, whoa, I, I had I went from being like a boy to a man in ten minutes. Well, that whole line of like, they don't even want to learn the new people's names because it's not worth the hassle because they're not going to be here that long. It's like, Jesus, I can't imagine yeah. being that like detached from just basic social, like it's incredible. But I guess, you know, you have to get to that place where human life is not 
that valuable or else you can't do this. And yeah, that's yeah. fucking terrifying. And then of course, you know, when you come home, you have to somehow you're expected to just wipe that out and go back to being a you know regular member of society. That's fucking impossible. It's <laughs> mm, Jesus, man. Yeah, fucking nuts, man. Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, even, even though the score is not great, it, it gives us these kind of conversations to have. So, yeah, it is It is composed by George S. Delarue, who I feel like we've talked about before. I just don't, just don't know when. I feel like I remember that name from somewhere. He's got like 400 fucking credits, so I'm not going to go through them all to figure, <laughs> to figure out where I've seen that name. Um, I didn't choose... A score piece of the score or piece of the only score <laughs> i i chose a white rabbit by jefferson airplane uh when taylor is introduced to all these people who smoke pot uh in the underworld <laughs> you know yeah. and fucking forrest whitaker is there right keith david uh he says what's up motherfuckers you know and uh there's there's elias hanging out on the hammock eating a banana and um oliver stone shows off some of his best stuff in this scene, the camera moves up real close to Elias's face, and he's like feeling pretty good, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so it's so good because it's it's Defoe. Like, oh man, like the amount of times I've looked into Defoe's eyes and just gotten this piercing, like, ah, uh, <laughs> who is this weirdo? You know. Uh, and and there were there were times where I was watching Platoon last night, and I in my head I couldn't get out. You know, think about it, hero. I couldn't get it out of my head because Defoe just does that to me, you know? Um, so yeah, White Rabbit's a great, great song, of course, for the 60s and for smoking pot and psychedelics and all that stuff. So these guys are smoking all kinds of shit and hanging out, have, trying to have a good time while they're there, you know? Um, it's also a really good transition from um, Taylor talking to... Uh, it's it's King, it's Keith David's character, and it's what is that other fucker's name? Um, to other young guy who's like from California, and he's like, "Yeah, the surf is gonna be great, dude." Yeah. Uh, they're talking about how many days they have left, and Taylor's like 392, and they're both like, "Holy shit, <laughs> you have more than a year left. You've been here for a week, motherfucker." And He's like, yeah, you know, he explains that he's from like a good family and went to college, but he wanted to like do something with his life that was more interesting. And uh, I love, I love in Keith David's character is, is like, yeah, only a rich person can have that perspective. Uh, I, I, I just thought that scene was so good. And then the Oliver Stone, again, he's so good at nature shots uh, and also Robert Richardson, uh, cinematographer, they, they have, there's a wonderful shot of Taylor and the other two gentlemen because um, they're digging and taking out basically you know, tubs of shit and pouring, pouring them out. And it shows the sunset and they've had this really long day of working outside and they get to go hang out and smoke weed. So I love that scene. I think it's like a brilliant, brilliant scene. And then it goes over to Behringer and uh, how about uh, fucking uh, John C. McKinley, you know, <laughs> as O'Neill. These other guys, they're just drinking and smoking and playing cards. Um, so it shows kind of the two sides. You got you got the hippies and the the people who are like they 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 let this define who they are, you know. And I, I love that scene. I think it's just like a brilliant Oliver Stone. Just check out all my characters. Check out the kind of the, the lay of the land where yeah. they're staying. 
uh, good stuff. Really good stuff. And and yeah, I love Jefferson Airplane. So <laughs> I nearly had that. I just I thought they cut the song off too fast. I was like, they oh, definitely do. They right definitely when we're getting into do. it. I'm like, ah, oh, now we're not hearing the song anymore. I was like, shit. I thought, yeah. So I almost had that. And yeah, John C. McGinley, one of the most one of my favorite character actors of all time who never gets the respect he deserves. He's been there. I didn't know he was acting this early. Honestly, I thought he came about in the nineties, but he was in, he's a big guy in this movie and I love him. He's just this sarcastic. I love the, what was the line? Uh, Elias, like you can take it, like, you know, take a break. You don't have to be a prick every day of your life. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I got a bad feeling. I got a bad feeling about this one. <laughs> it's just like, man, yeah, you know, O'Neill O'Neill was a fascinating character in this movie. I could watch a movie with him as the main guy. I would, yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Good, good shit. Good yeah, good shit. Uh, Philip Smurhoffman Award, best performance of the movie. Who, who do you got? There is there are options here. Uh, I get pretty much every one of them. This is a very well acted film, and I had to ultimately go with somebody who really fucking surprised me, and that's Charlie Sheen. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know he had it in him. I've oh no. Yeah. I don't I've think he does. I, I, I think there were, I I think he was possessed during this movie. He had to have been. I mean, you know, I, I've seen, you know, fucking scary movie and two and a half men, Charlie Sheen. Like this is new to me. I didn't know that in the 80s, like he had this kind of range. And he just plays, you know, kind of just a guy steadily losing his innocence over the course of the film. And I just love the way it's done his, you know, the, the, the fear and rage in his eyes, the, the way he screams at people towards the, in the second half of the film, the red bandana, just like, you know, covered in blood and dirt, just not fucking caring. It's, it's a great performance. And when he's screaming at the, the Vietnamese guys in the hole, and then he just starts crying to himself where he's like, yeah, what, what was it? Like, he doesn't even know what that was. It's just Jesus, man. This what happened? What happened, man? Like he could have been one of the greatest actors we had. What, yeah, winning, winning. <laughs> yeah, what, I don't how the know. Fuck did he turn into that? I don't know. Drugs, I guess. It really sucks. And like, Two and a Half Men is one of the worst things on planet Earth. Like, I can't believe people watched that. It was the most popular show for like twelve years. And that, if you sit down and watch an episode, you're like. This is the worst kind of entertainment. This and Big Bang Theory. Fuck those shows, you know? Like, why, are, why did those get so popular? I don't understand. Like, there's, there's so many things that I, I, maybe I don't like, but I, I get it. Like, I get the appeal to that. You know, I get, I get it. You're watching, like, you're watching rich people do rich things. I get it. Fine. You know, it's not, not for me, but I get it. Those shows, I don't understand. And I always, you know, because I saw Platoon as a kid and I, I've, seen, I've seen Wall Street. Uh, I, I like him in that movie. And I'm like, well, why, why was this your decision later on in life to like be on this horrible sitcom? Yeah, yep, it is. It's money. Winning. <laughs> you know how much he fucking made for Two and a Half Men? Like, and the people in the Big Bang Theory, like they were the highest paid people on TV. I don't know why. I, I've tried to sit through both of those shows and it just, pissed me off i was like this is not funny. yeah it's it's not acting i'll tell you that <laughs> it's it's just my it's just mindless mindless stuff and I, I i like some sitcoms so i'm not you know jogging that kind of you know a medium that art form yeah. but those those are going to be like the two most remembered 2000s 2010s sitcoms and that that, that both blows my mind 
Yeah. I'm one of those crazy people who thinks that a comedy should be funny. I mean, yeah. Call me yeah. insane for those, you know, wild thoughts, but yeah. I, I would like to laugh just once. Yeah. Maybe once every, every 30 minutes would be, would be cool. I had, I had so many people in high school dog me for not liking the big bang theory. They were like, come on, man. It's super funny. You just got to watch it. I'm like, I did. It's not funny. So many people would be on my ass about that. I, Bazinga. Yeah. I just, at least I, can't. I get the appeal of stranger things. I do not fucking get the appeal of the big bang theory. Yeah. See, exactly. Yeah. There's stuff that's not for me that I, that I, I yeah, I, I get it. And I get why there's like a fan club for, for most things. All I've never understood those like big bang, big bang theory. I don't know. Uh, but, but two and a half men more so like makes me like makes my blood boil. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so crazy. Uh, all three of them are so fucking annoying. <laughs> I haven't caught it on TV in a while. Cause it's been a minute since I've been to the dentist. So yeah. I, uh, yep. Yeah. yeah, that see that's that shit that, that those those places you know grocery stores dentists whatever these different places that just have a TV in the lobby they just play this shit on re- nobody's watching it they just it's just playing and there's ratings 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 yeah. and it's like could you put like I don't know anything uh, anything else on I don't care <laughs> just I, I didn't want to get this frustrated but yeah Charlie Sheen has had this wild wild career that really just does not make much sense um and he is very surprised it's very shocking to see him do a good job in platoon so i i hear you on that and he carries the movie he's in every single scene basically so um i'm, I'm with that i i hear that argument i do think it's between him behringer and, and defoe and of course i chose defoe uh, i mean <laughs> uh, uh god sergeant elias from from the way he dresses to the way he talks the way he dies uh, i just i can't get enough of defoe's performance in this movie um i remember talking about it when we did again when we did our top five defoe it's right it's like right there uh on on a different day maybe it's my top five i i, I really like what he's doing in this movie and you you have an immediate sense of obviously what's to come for Defoe after 1986 and like he hasn't stopped still, you know, and he is, he is one of our most talented people that we've ever bred. Uh, and like, that makes me proud. Like makes me proud to be from the same place that Defoe's from. <laughs> like that, that's kind of insane um, to, to think about a guy who has been in so many of my favorite movies and always at the stand. He's pretty much always the standout. And every every movie that he's in, whether it's for ten minutes or for an hour, um, yeah. And and my deacons will definitely involve him. Well, I'll say that. Oh, dude, as a lifelong cinephile, Willem Dafoe is one of my heroes. Like he's just he commits every time. I've heard he's really nice, and he just values the craft. And I I, I respect the hell out of that. And like you said, he has not stopped. If anything, he's gotten better. It's amazing. Like his performances lately have been some of his best work of his entire career. Uh, for sure i'd say the 2010s is his best decade yeah and just to know that nuts just to know that in 1986 he was like he still he had that like he's always had that that's that's good to know (laughs) very yeah fucking a man love 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 him um he just totally understands what's going on in the movie and what 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 Oliver Stone needs out of him, what we need out of him as an audience. And he's, he's obviously the hero of the movie, you know? Um, yeah. And he has that one line 
where him and Charlie Sheen are watching, they're looking at the stars, like almost brought me to tears. You know, he's like, they just are <laughs> the stars. You know, they have no, they're, they, they choose no side, you know, they're just, they're just here. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was so beautiful. That reflection of just like, what the fuck are we doing? What does this mean in the grand scheme? It means fuck all. Like we're just, yeah. we're just killing each other. It's Jesus. I gotta watch this yeah, again. Yeah. I really feel like I gotta watch this again. I feel like I didn't, I didn't grasp this as well as I should have. <laughs> uh, I might have played a played a role in building your expectations too much. You know, uh, that can happen. <laughs> I don't, I don't think you did. I think that if I just, if I'd known Oliver Stone was so personally invested in this, I think I would have had a different mindset watching it. And that's yeah. just, you know, that's on me. So yeah, well, I, I, I hear that, man. I, I totally understand. With that being said, what is what was your favorite scene after your first time watching it? It was the death of Elias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the cover of the movie, yeah, the arms up, yeah. Shawshank style. Yeah. Thanks for spoiling that, by the way. DVD cover, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's obviously Willem Dafoe. I can tell by just his arms. I'm like, that's Dafoe. <laughs> Dafoe would totally wear a cutoff sleeve, you know, vest with a bandana, you know, like a, t- a bandana and. His big, his big eyes looking out and, and, you know, just, yeah, come on. I mean, you know, it is kind of my fault. I mean, the movie came out 36 years ago, so, but still. Um, just that whole subplot of Barnes and Elias butting heads and then Barnes getting Elias alone and fucking shooting him in the chest. And then, you know, seeing him run out of the jungle while the chopper's taken off and just the Viet Cong are massacring him. Jesus Christ, man. It was just such a vicious end for a like a one of the few good people in this movie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh man. That whole 10 minute stretch is like is it might be my favorite stretch in any Oliver Stone movie is when Elias because it's so it's it's so uh planned out from Barnes' side. He's He's calling the shots and he's like, you're, you're, you're working for me. And I'm telling you, you're going to go to this flank. And so Elias is like, all right, well, if I'm going to go this flank, I'm going along because I move faster along. And he goes over to Taylor and Francis and he's like, Hey guys, I'm going over here. It's about a hundred meters away. And Taylor's like, I want to go with you. And he's like, no, 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 I move faster alone. So he goes along and then Barnes starts kind of stalking him, you know, and start it. And it's Oliver Stone just using the elements of the, the the amazing amount of green that is that is in Vietnam that is that is in this part of Asia, and you have, I think they're actually in Cambodia at that point. I think in that that part of the movie uh, where a lot of the shit went down, and you know the, the trees, the grass, and the the camouflage, so much green, and all you can see is Defoe and Barnes just running through, you know, and. And Defoe is, boom, 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 you know, uh, Elias is, is killing people. He's taking people out on, while he's running. And then, you know, Barnes is doing the same thing. And then finally, you know, Barnes sees Elias and Elias smiles. He's like, ha it's you. You know, I was about to kill you because I thought you were, I thought you were the enemy. And then Barnes is like, you are the enemy, you know? And, and it's one of those just like, oh my God, moments of, of filmmaking that I can't get enough of. Like, I just thought that, I thought, I, I thought that scene was so well executed from Stone and, and from, from these two actors who were 
just doing great work. I love the lack of dialogue, just the facial expressions from both those great actors. You know exactly what is about to happen. The, the yep. smile, though, is the worst. It's like, hey, friendly. Like, I'm out yeah. of danger. And then Barnes is just, I love he lowers his gun like he's thinking about it. And then he's yeah. like, and he kills him. Or he thinks he kills him. Like, holy hell, man. And, oh. Yeah. God, I can't imagine yeah. that kind of betrayal. Yeah, and then, the, and then, and then the, the shot from above when Taylor's like, it's Elias! And, you know, he's screaming like, oh my God, he's not dead. We gotta go save him. And they're like, you know, Barnes is like, holy fuck. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, he's not dead? And him, yeah, him running. I mean, it's like Sonny Corleone. It's like a, wow, look at this guy who will not go down without a fight type of character. And he's just getting blasted and he's trying to crawl. He's trying to make his way. And then he puts his arms up like, why, what am I doing? Like, I can't believe I was just essentially sacrificed for this, this, this bullshit war. Um, brilliant, like brilliant, brilliant stuff. Easily, to me, easily the, not just my favorite stretch of the movie, but the best. It is the most like gut-wrenching, disgusting but somehow entertaining part of the movie. And it's Oliver Stone. That's what he does. Like he does this over and over. Like the stuff he does with JFK reminds me of the stuff. It's like, how do you, how do you make history, not just a lesson, but such a like visceral experience that you, you can't get your, you, you can't look away when you're watching one of his movies. It's really amazing. Well, one thing I noticed with Oliver Stone's historical movies is it's very light on fluff. He doesn't like to, bullshit his audience and i i appreciate that big time because so many biopics are so full of shit i mean they're like barely any truth to them most of it's hollywood bullshit and i've you know i accept that you know i came to the buffet i'm gonna fucking eat but yeah Yeah. i do like a streamlined mostly truth-filled look at our history and stone really does that well yeah he he gets it he's like an historian and then a filmmaker and that's that's cool. I'm cool. I'm glad we have that. This is the first time I feel like we've really gotten to dig in to him. You know, we talked about JFK at great length a couple different times, but this is this is his winner. You know, this is the platoon is his, his probably most recognizable movie. You know, so it's just cool to kind of be able to talk about him and talk about just how how like oddly realistic this is. And then you're like, oh, it's because it's by a guy who 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 was there in 1967 the same time that these guys are here um fighting uh and 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 not only is that scene great with elias actually dying but it it creates the last 45 minutes to just be so bloody intense and then we have of course the end where taylor gets to get his revenge and while yeah that's like uh, you can kind of see that coming it is rewarding it's like fuck you barnes fuck you man like and Taylor doesn't waste a lot of time. He's like, I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah, don't it's, forgive. It's don't pretty forget. great. Like, he, he, from the, the second they got back, he's like, I, he immediately knew, like, Barnes killed him. He knew, straight up. He's like, yeah. we got to do something about this. And everyone's like, no, absolutely not. Yeah, are you he kidding me? let that go. Yeah, I, and I'm glad he didn't let it go, you know? Yeah. Yeah, everybody was telling him, just, just do your time, get out of here, go home. And he's like, but if I don't do this and I go home, I won't ever live it down. So no regrets, you know, and he just, he just goes for it. So yeah, it's, it's, ah, it's a brilliant movie. Um, I'm really, really glad we both, both uh, 
have seen it and have the, you know, we kind of have the same opinion of it just being just like, wow, like what a unique war film, you know, uh, definitely one to kind of, it's, it's one to kind of keep in the upper echelon of war movies. I think of, of it might not be everybody's favorite, but it needs to, it's, you should, it's a respectable movie. Well, I think you're more inclined to, you know, tell an American story, like an American history story correctly. If you were fucking a part of it. If you were a part of American history, you don't want to see, you don't want to see lies blanket your experience. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Totally agree, man. Good stuff. Good awards here. Yeah, I mean, we think we highlighted some some great stuff from this movie. I uh, had a couple great quotes. Good piece of score. Good soundtrack bit. Defoe and and Sheen, and we both have the same deacon, so it makes sense. You know, I think we think we both. I had kind of a similar experience with this movie. So uh, I'm glad you feel like you should rewatch it. I think that's cool. I think that's a, I think that's a, a unique thing to happen through these podcasts where you, you watch them for, for the first time and you realize while talking about it, wow, I think I want to see this again. I think it's, I, I think it's like worth that. It's worth that time. That's unique. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things to come out of doing all these shows is a, a new appreciation for certain films and a new kind of way of watching them that I've never had. And now it's just part of who I am. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> well, with platoon comes, uh, you know, the best picture show now and Oh boy, these other movies had no chance. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, the past few we've done of this, um, let's see, we did, of course, the Godfather. I mean, not even do I feel like these movies had no chance against The Godfather. It's like, it's not really a conversation necessarily. You know, there's, there's second place and there's third place and fourth place and fifth place, but first place was inevitable. And we didn't, you know, that was episode uh, 105. Uh, episode 100 was Sounds of the Lambs. Kind of the same thing. I think JFK is really, really good, but yeah, I mean, come on. Um, episode 95, we didn't do, um, a showdown. It was the, it was the day of the Oscars, uh, uh, a ceremony that I'd like to forget very quickly. And <laughs> episode 90, um, I'm not sure which one that was. I just know that the past few we've like been very like, yeah, it's, it's not, not only is this obvious for us, but it's the one that actually won. And that's cool. That's cool to, to like agree. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm curious about what ninety was as well. I'm looking it up on my letterboxed right now. 90. I'm pretty sure 80, 85 was No Country for Old Men, and I can't remember what ninety was. Uh, ninety was Twelve Years a Slave, I believe. Yeah. See, we both had some things to say about different movies with that that group. But that's also these two thousand tens ones. There's like eight or nine or ten fucking movies up, and I just don't like that. I much prefer the five. It's a much, it's a much better conversation to have, more exclusive. So, um, we both watched all five of these best picture nominees. Uh, again, Platoon, Children of a Lesser God, Hannah and Her Sisters, The Mission, and A Room with a View. So, we're gonna rank these bad boys, um, you know, from five to one. So, I'll kind of let you start whenever you're ready. Number, f- all right, yeah, uh, this was uh, not the best group. But, you know, maybe that's why they didn't win Best Picture. Uh, number five is A Room with a View. Yes, same. Pretty clearly. Yeah. 
I went on a bit of a rant <laughs> with with you through text about movies like this, uh, where rich English white bread arrogant assholes make up their own problems and expect me to care, and I just don't. I've I've yet to care. I didn't like Howard's End, and I didn't like Room of the View. Same director, same screenwriter. <laughs> Yeah, basically the same exact movie. Yep, just like what six years apart. Yeah, yeah, and I just don't, I don't get the appeal. Like, just go read Jane Austen again. She was at least she was doing it in a different way. Uh, and this is basically just a movie about a a woman and her aunt who get a room that doesn't have a view, and then <laughs> bitch about it, but still refuse to accept a very like generous offer of like, Hey, I don't need a view. I'll, you can have our room. And for Maggie Smith to be like, how dare you? Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and it's basically that for two hours. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this was like someone out there. This is their favorite movie. It's gotta be. Yeah. 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 I'm not, I'm not a big fan of this one. Um, it's on, like multiple streaming services it's on criterion amazon prime i watched I it think. on showtime showtime yeah yeah i knew it was on three or four and i mean <laughs> the first 20 minutes is I, I i was like i if i weren't doing this for a podcast i would turn this nonsense off <laughs> that's, that's how i felt i i, I man I lo- I kind of liked Howard's End. I I thought Anthony Hopkins was like excellent in that movie, and I do think James Ivory gets something out of his performances, out of his out of out of his actors, and this cast, you know, Maggie Smith, Helena Bonham Carter, uh, fucking Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, there, there's there's obviously some like really really strong talent in this movie, and some really raw talent with Helena and and Daniel Day Lewis, but they just like they don't do much with it. It's it's two hours, but feels like four, you know, it, it drags big time. And it's something I feel like I've seen a million times where it's like, ah, I fell in love with this guy who's kind of, you know, it's a lady in the tramp type thing. And he's, he's a little bit different. He's a little bit, he's a little bit rough around the edges, not quite what, you know, my family wants for me. And then here's this guy, Daniel Day Lewis, who's this prick who's got everything laid out for him his whole life you know, fucking silver spoon type guy. And this is who I'm going to marry. And then the rough around the edges guy comes back around and is like, Hey, remember me? You had fun with me. And I've seen this like 40,000 times. I, I just don't, I don't need it again. I don't need this version of it. I'm never watching this movie again in my life. What boggles my mind is the reception that it still has. It did. Did we miss something? This movie has like a 3.8 on Letterboxd, which is pretty good. A 7.2 on IMDb, which is pretty good. Are we in the wrong here? Like, what's so great about this movie? Did you catch the Rotten Tomatoes score? No, I haven't. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What are we missing? Won three Oscars. What? 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 What did, what did we not, what did we not see with this movie? Why is it on Criterion? <laughs> what what what's going on? I don't know, man. It, it like upset me, and I, you know, I went in with I went in with an open mind because I thought Howard's in was all right. Because again, Anthony Hopkins is great in that movie, but it's pretty boring. 
it makes me sick that, that when we do 1993, not only are we going to have to watch a endlessly long Schindler's List as the winner, we're going to have to watch another James Ivory movie, Remains of the Day. Great. Can't wait. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Is it a generational thing? Like, are we just, can we just not get on board with a movie like this anymore? But then I'm like, I liked Atonement. And that had a general similar vibe. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's not, is it James Ivory? Is it him? It, it, it very well could be. Um, and, and I think, I think a big thing for me, and I, th- I think you connect to this too, is when you see Maggie Smith, someone we both really, really, really like, Helena Bonham Carter, same thing. And Daniel Day-Lewis, who we both see as one of the greatest to ever do it. It's like, man, is it wrong for me to want more out of all of them? Uh, is it wrong for me to want better material for all of them or a different kind of movie? I don't know. I don't no, know. I feel like it'd be like if you went to Gordon Ramsay's restaurant and he made you like a microwaved dinner, you'd be a little bit like, I, Damn. I, yeah. I, I expected a lot more from this. <laughs> like, yeah. Like Daniel Day-Lewis is such an insufferable little worm who's just you know, <laughs> like when he's on the tennis court trying to read poetry to people and then he gets annoyed when they hit him with a ball. Like, are you kidding me? I can't believe Daniel Plainview exists in that man. <laughs> yeah, I know. It really is remarkable. Like, if you look at it, as, look at the fucking range this motherfucker has. Um, and he does a movie the same year as The Room with a View called My Beautiful Laundrette. He plays a completely different dude, uh, a, a gay character, like kind of in the slums of London. Completely different character. And so you're, you're like, wow, this guy really. This was the time, too, when it was like he was. He was being discovered in the mid '80s, late '80s. Yeah. So it is cool to, to have. That's the only reason I'm glad I watched it was to get another Daniel Day Lewis performance under my belt. Of okay, I, I see what people were seeing in this guy early on, where it's like, let's cast that guy. He can do anything. That and I was happy to watch a uh, a screenplay winner. I don't necessarily think it should have gotten it, but I'm glad no. to watch a screenplay winner. I'm collecting those. Yeah. I- I'm, I'm grateful to kind of watch uh, nearly anything, you know, uh, I'm never going to be like, that was a complete waste of time, but I do, I do feel like that two hours, I could have done something more productive. <laughs> Funny. I think that a lot <laughs> with a lot of movies. I'm like, that, yeah. why did I fucking do that? You also are on a show where you guys purposefully watch shitty movies. I, I, I very rarely go into something that See? I'm like, I probably will hate this. I don't, I rarely, if ever, think that for that show though, because I know that even if the movie's a complete disaster, horrific waste of my time, that's the point. Yeah. I've got the conversation and I've got fuel for a funny fucking episode. But if it's something I pick for myself and it turns out to be shit and I'm like, there's two and a half hours gone, I want to punch something. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It, luckily, it doesn't happen a whole lot to me. It usually happens through this show, these best picture showdowns. There's always one or two that I'm like, I don't need that. I don't need that in my brain. But there, here it is. Um, I'd give this movie, I don't know, a five or a six. I don't fucking know. It looks cool. Again, DDL, amazing what he's doing. I can't believe that guy, like you said, is, is also Daniel Plainview and, and Abraham Lincoln. You know, um, But yeah, five, maybe a five. I don't know. Soft six or a five. It's a soft six for me. And I did, I did have to give it some praise for performance. Uh, you don't see Maggie Smith play such weak characters very often. Yeah, yeah. This um, is true. This yeah. is true. Well, uh, let's say yeah, let's. We can never talk about this again. There until 
until we do remains of the day. Uh, I'm sure we'll bring up Howard's end and Arun with you again. Uh, number four, what do you got? Uh, my number four is the mission. Okay. I, uh, I think I had too high expectations for this. Fair. That Fair. comes from, you know, I've, I've heard about this movie for years. I'm a De Niro fan. I'm on the fence about Jeremy Irons. The more of him I watch, the more I'm like, do I really like this guy? Uh, but Morricone's score is, is beautiful. Un- I love his Unreal. Historical- yeah. yeah. And you know how much I love historical dramas. Um, but this film is whitewashed like a linen shirt. It's fucking ridiculous. This, this whole, you know, Oh, the Spanish were protecting the indigenous tribes from the horrific slave-inducing Portuguese. Like, no, the Spanish showed up to subjugate first, and the Portuguese were trying to get on their territory. That's what was going on here. They, they, nobody gave a fuck about the tribes. Yeah, like, let's be honest. If we're gonna make this movie, let's be let's be honest about it. Let's stop, you know, acting like this is fucking Schoolhouse Rock and Columbus discovered the Earth or not the, yeah. earth, not the earth. My mistake. <laughs> Pretty sure. That didn't happen. Discovered America, you know. It's just I he came it. from the moon. Yeah, yeah. He, the Italians on the moon were like, Christopher, go find us another place. No. But uh, <laughs> I just hate this whitewashed bullshit of history. And then watching, you know, Platoon, which took a very real look at Vietnam. It's like, why? Why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep ignoring history and giving us some, you know, processed bullshit to help us forget that? White people throughout mankind's history have been fucking monsters for most of it. Like, yeah, we didn't do anything personally. It's not a, it's not a wrong thing to look at history accurately, and we keep forgetting that in this country, especially. And uh, yeah, as a historian, I just I was the whole time I was also I was really fucking bored. That didn't help, but also I was just the whole time like this this didn't happen like this. This is bullshit. I know this is bullshit. So, not a fan. Well, my number four is also the mission. <laughs> really, you, you uh, talked pretty highly about this one. I'm surprised. Yeah, I I, I like the rest of these movies. Um, you know, I I think yeah, my one and two I really like, and then three and four, yeah, I, I I'd, I'd say you know, I'd say I'd maybe watch them again. Maybe the mission, I don't think I need to see again. Um, any more Kone? Uh, there's a reason we have one of our awards named after him and it's because of stuff like this and I'm totally with you I would never argue against how <laughs> how how especially like 20th century just Hollywood bullshit it is of changing you know it, it, the balls to be like we're going to call Robert De Niro Rodrigo you know like that's just it's just, it's just really really dumb I, I think I it's I do love that he does not drop the Italian accent at all. Not at all. Not at all. And Jeremy Irons isn't, isn't trying that hard either. Um, <laughs> I do think he's good in it, De Niro. I do think his kind of, uh, you know, his beginnings as, as a mercenary, as like a slave trader type, who's, who's pretty, pretty ruthless and kills his own brother in a duel, which <laughs> I thought was funny. Uh I do think his kind of ride through the movie is fascinating. And I do respect kind of that story story arc of him helping out these people. Like this is the right thing to do is to fight is to, is to fight for something that's of value. Uh, Cause those, those pricks in Portugal are, are, are quite annoying. Um, 
uh, I mean, come on. Like, there's a couple scenes where you're like, fuck these guys. These guys are, these guys are so lame. And, and Jeremy Irons, I like some of the stuff he's doing too. The main reason I responded to it, aside from Morricone, I thought the directing was really good. I thought the cinematography was really good. I love stories about Christianity that point out how fucked up it is. <laughs> uh, so I, I responded to it on that front. You know, the, the Vatican has this list of movies that they hold like as holy. And there's about 40 of them. And the mission is one of them. I find that to be like so funny that I like it, that I, that I like feed on. I'm like, yes, <laughs> look at these fuckers. So it's not so much that I love what's happening within the film. It's kind of what's around it. Kind of has this, this piece of look what we did in the eighties. And I hope we can change what we do now with these kinds of movies to properly respect different cultures. Um, but but the main reason I, I would give it I, I would give it an eight overall is is Ennio Morricone is like on a different level. It is great. I could listen to the score all fucking day, and that's why I wasn't bored. Uh, I do think it's a little too long or a little too short. I think it's in that weird space of like we didn't tell enough of the story, we didn't give enough respect to 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 cultures that are outside of white, <laughs> and it also like could have chopped off some of the boring scenes. So I don't know. It's kind of in a no man's land, but I, I did enjoy it. I'm glad I've seen it. And I, I, it might have something to do with that. I didn't quite know this is Morricone. Like shame on me for not knowing, you know, I remember I texted you, you were like, yeah, this is like one of his most celebrated, celebrated works. And I was like, how has this movie just escaped me? Like this movie about Christianity, about Christians versus Christians, essentially. And uh, thinking that thinking that you're saving cultures because you're sharing the gospel with them, this like crazy, crazy idea that that millions and billions of people have. Uh, I, I, I like movies that put that on the table, and so there there were things that I responded to with this movie. Uh, but but I, I I agree with you. I would have no problem with saying I would have no problem with someone giving this movie a two. You know, like I I, I get I get that perspective as well. Um, because I've I've dogged movies that are uh, whitewashed and have a have you know no sense about them, so uh, I get that. I find it interesting that we both kind of took things away from this film that are like fundamental to who we are. Like I was bothered by the his, by the lack of accurate history, and yeah. you, you love that it was dog and Christianity. <laughs> like, yeah, that was funny. Yeah, I like I th- I thought there was like humorous parts of it which aren't supposed to be funny, but my experience <laughs> did you notice that the the like the don guy who gets pissed when de niro calls him out on his shit as maury his... yeah good fellas yeah yes 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 yeah him and de niro have been just pissing each other off in so many different movies yeah that scene that scene was great from de niro it's just like oh man look at look at this fucking movie star just kind of going toe-to-toe with the powers that be and he takes the wig off and throws it down i thought that was great and he's bald you're like oh my god it's so annoying to see how much power the church used to have. Yep. I mean, just the, you know, films like this and the crucible and just this, like, if you didn't kneel before the man who claims to know what God said, you're going to die. Yeah. And that's just, I can't imagine that. Get that shit out of here. Yeah. 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 So, you know, uh, yeah. Took different things out, of it, but both are number four. So obviously I like this group a little bit more than you. <laughs> What's your number three? 
My number three is Woody Allen's Hannah and her sisters. Same here. Uh, I can't seem to get Woody Allen. He's, he's, he's just so obnoxious and clearly thinks he's like the greatest screenwriter who ever lived. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> he just keeps writing the same movie and the Oscars just fucking keep stroking him off. I don't get it. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, this movie is just watching Michael Caine cheat on his wife and then not tell her about it. That's pretty much the whole movie. There's, there's nothing else here. <laughs> I, I, I like, I like this one quite a bit. I was very surprised because I'm also not a big Woody Allen guy. Um, Annie Hall, it's got some good stuff. I like some of the stuff in Purple Rose of Cairo, um, but I've, I've never been a huge fan uh, of his and, I'm not a huge fan of him in Hannah Sisters. He, as a performer, like, dude, you, I hate to just make fun of the way people are, but he's annoying. He's just annoying. Like, well, yeah, how you doing? You know, he's just got that, oh, that like weird voice that just doesn't fit well on screen and through audio. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to people saying that about me, but I'm allowed to say it about Woody Allen. He's also someone I just don't care to get into. Um, there's conversations that we could have. I'll save that for a completely different time. I don't even feel like going into it. It's because it's fucking weird. <laughs> and we'll save it for the Annie Hall episode that we do at some point in the future. Um, I thought the performances were very strong in this movie. And I couldn't believe how good the cast was. Daniel Stern. What the fuck? John Turturro. All these people that just pop up out of nowhere. You're like, what is this? I think Mia Farrow is really good in this movie. Um. And then, yeah, I, th- I think I think Michael Caine. It's not it's not an Oscar Oscar winning performance, but I do like him a lot. I like the voiceover stuff, uh, the little bits of narration. I, I thought were really good. And and I don't know what it is about movies that um, I thought the editing was really good. And this movie goes over two years essentially from one Thanksgiving to the next to the next. And I thought it was pretty seamless in the way that it moved through through its story, moved through its drama. Um, so I, I respected that aspect of it as well. I, you gave this movie to me cause you got it on DVD and you're like, I don't care. I don't want it. And I was like, I'll take it. I, I like it. I might watch it again one day. Um, and I think it'd be silly to not say that Woody Allen is good at using New York and it's a character. It's, it's clearly something that's very big in his life and has, has like great, a great effect on him. So I, I do appreciate that about, about his work that he's able to, to properly make New York feel as big as it can be, but also as small as it can be. And I love that about this movie. He's like all the neurotic worst parts of Larry David came to life. Yeah. Yeah. He's so irritating and obnoxious and creepy and He's one of the most decorated people in Oscars history. And mm-hmm. I love that we're just like avoiding him like a plague because we just don't yeah. care for him. I mean, it's it'll gross. it'll it'll come one day. There's some there's some heavy hitters we haven't really gone into, and he's one of them. Yeah. yeah, he has like 13 nominations or some crazy shit for you know screenplay or directing or whatever, and a best picture winner. So yeah, well, it'll happen one day. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to do that year. You know, it's a 70, it's 77. We'll get to talk about Star Wars as well. So, like, that'll be a cool kind of. Here's these different kinds of movies going at it, but yeah, we'll save the like Woody Allen stuff for that day. Makes sense. Yeah, uh, I just thought Hannah and her sisters was was like 
half a story. Like that's we, fair. That's we fair. Never got any any closure on anything, and it's Woody Allen writing himself as like this guy who's gonna somehow land. Who, who was it? Uh, Di- was it Diane Weist? He ends up with. Yeah, Holly. Yeah. yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. No they, way. Their first date was absolute hell. Like they just hated each other so much. That's gonna two years later they're gonna have a baby. Are you kidding me? Um, yeah. Could you believe Lewis Black was in this movie? Like, I couldn't believe. I was like, no fucking way. And I had to look it up. Like, that's it's Lewis Black. Yeah. <laughs> and Ju- Julie Louise Dreyfus and Max Boncito and like, like what? what? Yeah, Max Boncito is just a horrible fucking asshole. Just, yeah. You know, I hate everybody, but please don't leave me. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I'm an artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the cast is just is absolutely bonkers um, i am continuously impressed by the the people that woody allen is able to court for his movies it really he he brings together a hell of an ensemble every time it's kind of it's kind of like wes anderson's ability to just like yeah these people keep coming back to me and they want it, they want some of it they want some of that action yeah it's interesting anderson i get because he's never you know like fucked his adopted daughter or whatever the fuck <laughs> woody allen did or raped a teen, like raped a child, like Roman Polanski did. So, like certain people, I understand continuously getting people, but other people, I'm like, do you not know what this guy's done? Like, why do you? Why do people keep coming back to them? I, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's that, <laughs> it's it, it's that that Hollywood bitch, you know. It's um, yeah. There's no. Sometimes there's no answers for it. I do also love that we've now seen both of Michael Caine's wins and we don't think he deserved either one of them. No, yeah, no. I mean, not really even close. So, especially the other one, Center House Rules, just nah. <laughs> I'd like to forget about that movie altogether. <laughs> All right, so we're, we're, we're exactly aligned here. And I think we're going to stay that way. Maybe not. What do you got for number two? Uh, I'm going to break the cycle. Number two is Platoon. Damn. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think we've only been the exact same like once this entire time we've done this show. I can't remember what year it was, but I remember I remember calling it. I was like, I, I think it was 1961. Um, yeah, it was. I remember. We that. both had Fanny like way back in the back. Uh, we both had West Side Story in the same spot. We both thought Judgment Nuremberg was number one, and The Hustlers number two, and Guns yeah. of Navarone three. Yeah. yeah. And then I, Caleb, and I had the same on Silence of the Lambs. We That's right. And then I, I changed Beauty and the Beast and Prince of Tides. I love Prince of Tides. I did too. It was really good. But all right. So <laughs> Platoon gonna... number two. So obviously Platoon's my number one and Children of Lesser Gods my two. And for you, it's 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 flipped. Dude, something about Children of a Lesser God really spoke to me. And I really liked it. And I just I I, I get it. <laughs> that movie great. I, I get why Platoon won. It's you know it's the it's the one everybody liked. It's it's a, the big movie of the, of the ceremony. It's Oliver maybe Oliver Stone's best work. I get it. Children of Lesser God is so subdued and careful and very personal in its storytelling that it just feels like a, a best picture win for that movie would have meant a whole lot more. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it, it, this director Rhonda Rhonda Haynes. The resume is just not there. I'm, I was blown away. I was like, who directed this movie? This is like, I loved Children of a Lesser God. I thought it was great. It's a like solid, solid eight, close to a nine kind of movie. I really, really liked it. 
I thought our two leads were lights out and, and totally deserving of nominations. And Marley Matlin, totally deserving of the win. She is phenomenal in this movie. I'm like, boy, if she would have won Best Director or this movie would have won Best Picture, it would have changed, probably changed her career. And so I agree with you on that. I mean, Oliver Stone wasn't going anywhere either way. Um, I, I just can't believe this is kind of it for her, for her, her directing resume. It's like, this, this movie looks really good. And it's a, it's a play, right? Mm-hmm. It's a stage play. It, this is one of the few times I've, I've been like, this makes sense on the screen. A lot of stage plays, I'm like, oh, yeah, you can tell. You can fucking, yeah. Some of it just doesn't, doesn't do too hot um, on the screen. This, I'd be very curious to see this play because uh, I think the movie moved very, very, very well. Um, man, William Hurt, rest in peace. That guy was, you know, the guy, guy had his demons for sure. But man, on the screen as a performer, fucking incredible. Uh, three Oscar nominations in a row for him. Yeah. Uh, or was one, did he win one in the, yeah. in the 80s? Kiss of the Spider Woman. That was yeah, 1985. Movie. So 1985, then this is 1986. 87 would be what? Broadcast News, I believe. That's, yeah, that's right. Uh, and, then, and then, of course, A History of Violence later on with uh, him and Vigo going at it. That's a great movie. Yeah, he's the man. Like, he's, he's fantastic. And Marley Matlin, why the fuck was her career not different? Dude, I was, the whole time I'm thinking, like, she should have been one of the most famous actresses of the 80s and 90s. Like, she was unbelievable in this movie. And I 100% think, you know, 80s actors, weren't, 80s uh, audiences were not ready for a, for a deaf leading woman. That's, exa- that's exactly what happened, I guarantee it. Uh, yeah, and I know, I know your, like, writing has to go around that, but it's worth it when you get her. I mean, it's totally, she is, like, and she is strikingly beautiful and is so easy to just root for i i i was like my heart was like broken watching that movie and i and there were there were multiple scenes where i was like just my jaw was like to the floor because of her like oh my god one of the most deserving oscars i've ever seen yeah immediately has immediately become one of my favorite you know whether it's a best lead actress or supporting one of my favorite wins of all time from a, from a woman. It made me want to, like, I want to pencil this in, like, as a full episode next year. Or yeah. I want to do this. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm so down. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think we both, yeah, responded to this movie, like, a lot. And, and she was only, was, like, in her, she was only, like, 20. She's, she's she the was, youngest actress to ever 21. win. 21. Yeah. Like, fucking crazy. Like, she's and, and, the youngest and, actress to win Best Actress. That's <laughs> bonkers and and william hurt was like 36 when this movie came out so that's like a little weird and then of course what happens in their personal life is very very fucked up um uh you know sometimes with dead people it's like we should probably just let them sleep but um william hurt definitely yeah had like had some demons it was it was really shitty for all of that to come out when he died i wish we'd gotten to have a moment where we could kind of say fuck him when he was alive it just feels like you know there's no point to it like now because mm. like it's not like he's gonna like his, his, he had his career like there's nothing to take away from him i mean his legacy is gonna pretty much like stay alive uh yeah 
And he's not like he, he couldn't he couldn't defend himself either. Like I don't know. I don't know. I don't really get into it, but the Yeah, I know I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. But the film is is remarkable. I I I think it's one of the most like human films I've ever seen. And I was just blown away by just this love connection that comes like independent of language was so powerful and done so well. I, it was my favorite film of the, of the five. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm totally down with that. Obviously we've talked a lot about platoon. So like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also great. This, this, this usually happens on these best picture showdowns. Typically we get two movies that are good, that are through and through fucking good. You know, 1960, Elmer Gantry in the apartment. 1972, Godfather and Cabaret. 1971, I think we got three that year with uh, Last Picture Show, Clockwork, and French Connection. Like, there was usually two or three that are like, I get it. This is best picture worthy. Yeah. And the others could, you know, it's, it's up to your, it's kind of up to your opinion. But there's always two that feel like they belong. And I think Platoon and Children of a Lesser God belong in this group. I would stack them up against The Fly, Blue Velvet, Aliens, like movies that I love from 1986. I, 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 I would have a conversation about those, you know? Dude, I was looking through my letterbox of 86 films I've seen, and I couldn't fucking believe how much got overlooked. Like, why is Blue Velvet not in here? I don't know. I don't know. Unreal. The Fly Crazy. should be in here. Aliens should be in here. There's so many great movies from this year. That, that would be my five. It'd be Blue Velvet, Aliens, um, what would we just, just fucking say? Oh, The Fly, Platoon, and Children of Lesser God. Like those five, that is a awesome and very versatile best picture group. That'd be beautiful. Does Platoon still win? For me, The Fly. I think The Fly is like one of the most absurd and amazing movies I've ever seen and has, in my opinion, the guy who should have won Best Actor over James Woods, William Hurt, Bob Hoskins, Dexter Gordon, and Paul Newman. Love Paul Newman to death, but I'll take I'll take my guy, Jeff Goldblum, all day. Can you imagine if we lived in a world where The Fly had, like, best actor Goldblum, best director Cronenberg, best picture? <laughs> like, Jesus, no, what, a, I, what a world. I, I can't imagine that world because then, you know, our, uh, you know, our buddies Caleb and Josh would care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that just doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. So um, David Lynch is up for Blue Velvet for Best Director. That's nice. That seems to happen to him. Like, he was up for Mulholland Drive, but Mulholland Drive wasn't up for Best Picture. It's like, I don't always, get it. They uh, throw him a bone because he's David Lynch. Because like, he's, right. yeah. Yeah, he's being weird enough to like give him some credit, but. He's obviously not going to win. They're never going to give him one, but they're going to let him have a seat at the table. Correct. And he, he's like, sure, well, that sounds nice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. No, this is great. This is fun. Um, we knocked off five more fucking movies that are Best Picture nominees. And. It goes in the history books for, for Oscar Sunday for film gas and production. So um, I'm, I'm cool with it, you know, um, not the best group, but not the worst. I think we've seen worse. Though so some of the, some of those early years, you see some shit, you know, and you, you, you have a, have, have rough bunches, but again, I like truly believe no matter what, there's always one or two that are, that are like worth your time. And that's enough. That's enough for me. 40% is an, is, is okay for me. If I'm getting, if I'm getting platoon and a children of a lesser God, if I'm getting the apartment and Elmer Gantry, I'll watch the other ones. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll take that on um, and have these conversations with you. Most importantly. I do love that you consider 1986 to be one of the early years 
No, no, no. I mean, I, I mean, when we've done, you know, 60s and when we've done oh, other okay. other best picture showdowns. No, yeah, this is. I thought good. you were roping in this. I'm like, it's not no, that. No, 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 no. This is this is. <laughs> This is 80s. 80s does not have like great group. We've done 1981, not the best group. Um, we've done, I guess those are the only two 80s best picture showdowns we've done are, are Chariots of Fire, which, ugh, yikes. Yeah. And, but that, but that has Atlantic City and Rage of the Lost Ark. I love both of those. And that was, that was enough for me to, to like do that episode. Even Reds, I did like. Yeah. Yeah. Reds was cool. Yeah. It's, it, it was cool to like knock out another Warren Beatty. You know, I, I, I like, watching guys like that jack nicholson's amazing in that movie so um i was yeah i'm, I'm i always find something to like be positive about uh with these with these shows and again most importantly it's like being able to just talk to you about them is, is so much fun oh yeah absolutely man cool cool well we've got our we've got our, our five so we went we both went a room with a view number five uh, we went the mission number four hannah and her sisters number three I went Children of a Lesser God and Platoon. You went Platoon, Children of a Lesser God. So not bad, not bad. We kind of on the same page there. Um, now let's see if we're on the same page with some of these categories. Uh, we'll talk about what we can. Let's fucking get into it. You know, this has uh, four winners. Obviously, we've talked about Best Picture. So let's talk about the other seven categories and then we'll get the hell out of here. Uh, let's do cinematography because every group is pretty big. Um, cinematography here we go here we go all right the winner is the mission it beat peggy sue got married platoon a room with a view and star trek four the voyage home i didn't know that had an oscar nomination did some of the star trek movies have some some heavy nominations it's weird um yeah, I, I guess i just never really caught that how about that i've seen all five of these movies uh Okay, what, so what's your vote? Uh, you know, I'm going to... I think I'm going to give it to Platoon. Same. Robin yeah. Richardson, man. Yeah. The cinematography for that film is very good. Um, I love the way that he paints Vietnam as this kind of, you know, to quote Eli Roth, a green inferno. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, Peggy Sue Got Married. I don't really get why that's here. It's a, it's a cute movie, but it's not exactly breaking new ground with cinematography. You ever see that movie? Oh yeah, I have, but for, a bit forgettable. Yeah. Yeah. Like Nick, Nick Cage is funny, but that's about it. Yeah. That's why I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> and then Star Trek force fun, but also like cinematography, I think is, is pushing it. It's, it's Star Trek. I, I haven't seen that one. So can't really, can't really say I'm not the biggest Star Trek guy. Yeah. They go back in time to save the whales. Cause the whales are the only way to, communicate with this like probe that's uh, going to destroy earth it's a weird movie but it's really fun yeah that's that sounds about right <laughs> <laughs> this 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 will be a good one um screenplay the winner hannah and her sisters crocodile dundee crazy my beautiful laundrette platoon and salvador two oliver stone movies in here awesome dude people in the 80s went fucking ape shit over crocodile dundee like I know, I, I don't think we comprehend how big of a cultural impact that was in 1986. No, we do not. No, <laughs> I can't. I've seen clips, and I'm like, really? That outback guy goes to the big city. That's that's all. That's all we got here. All right, whatever. <laughs> uh, I I haven't seen Dundee or Salvador or um. I'm sorry. 
Um, my beautiful laundrette. My beautiful laundrette. Yeah, I I know you've you've praised that movie quite often. Uh, yeah, I fucking love that. That would be my pick for sure. Love that movie. Nice. Um, I I guess because you know I'm I guess I'll give it to uh, to Platoon. I mean, Hannah and her sisters. I just don't think is a very strong story. Uh, but I think Platoon is. So I think Stone. Yeah, he had something there, obviously. So yeah, I'll give it to him. Yeah, he clearly was doing something in 1986. <laughs> uh, yeah, I haven't seen Salvador or Crocodile Dundee. I've seen like bits of Crocodile Dundee just because it is what it is. Uh, it's like a, like you said, an 80s phenomenon. Yeah. But uh, my beautiful laundrette, that's like a micro budget, like didn't even spend. It, it, the budget was like 650,000 pounds. You know, it was like tiny movie using Daniel Day Lewis way before he was what what we know him to be today uh and i i just love how authentic this movie is um steven frears i think he's like a really underrated director so i yeah i i responded quite well to this movie it also has like a very unique diverse cast you know saeed jeffrey is really good rashawn seth is really good and of course ddl so rashawn seth i know him yeah he was the uh the prime minister in indiana jones and the temple of doom Yep. There we go. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. So he followed up Temple of Doom with My Beautiful Laundrette. It's <laughs> <That's> wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I, yeah. I really like that movie. I think you'd really dig it. It's a great DDL performance to just kind of put under the belt. Um, let's see. Let's do. Oh boy. We got actor in a supporting role. We have two people from Platoon. Uh, the winner is Michael Caine for Hannah Sisters. Tom Berenger, Willem Dafoe, uh, Denholm Elliott from A Room with a View. No thanks. And big time, no thanks, is Dennis Hopper from Hoosiers. I love Dennis Hopper, but Hoosiers is a piece of shit movie. I, I, I'm a huge basketball guy, and that movie just, just no, just no, for a lot of, a lot of basketball reasons and a lot of like racial reasons. Just, just no, just, I just don't need that movie. And it sucks because we got my guy Gene Hackman and my guy Dennis Hopper both in it. Like, how do you fuck this up? Uh, do anything else but but make this insincere movie about basketball in the 50s just, just no um barbara hershey is also in this movie who's also in hannah and her sisters so uh great cast but not for me uh, my pick would be bull and i don't think i've ever heard you talk more shit about a movie than hoosiers that's come up a couple times love basketball you know i'm a big 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 basketball guy and Ah, so many movies fuck up the basketball parts of, of, of their story. It was fucking nuts. This same year, Dennis Hopper killed it in Blue Velvet. That should be the nomination. Correct. You know what he also crushed in? Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. That Come was on. 86. Damn, he had a yeah. big year. He did. Dennis Hopper at one point was, was you know, was really working. <laughs> Damn, man. Um, I, too, will give it to... You know what? I'm going to give it to Tom Berenger. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I read in the trivia that uh, Stone deliberately cast him against type because at the time, Tom Berenger was known for playing kind of silly, heroic characters and Defoe was known for playing evil sleazebags. So he swapped them. Yeah. And they both killed it. Uh, and I love Defoe and I one day I hope to see him win an Oscar. But Behringer's fucking scary in this movie. And I, I, I think, you know, I like a good villainous performance goes a long way. Oh, for sure. 
So I think oh, yeah, I think I think a lot of what you think about when you finish this movie is just like fucking Barnes, man. Like that guy. That guy was nuts. So yeah, it's got to be one of those two guys winning. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally with that. Um, but th- that's it for the uh, just straight up nominations. We have three more wins to go through. Uh, best film editing, best sound, and best director. Let's start with best sound. Best sound. Uh, our our favorite category. <laughs> best sound. So it's just very vague, but I also love love movies that utilize sound well. So uh, we have Platoon as the winner, beating Aliens. Woo. Heartbreak Ridge. Haven't seen that. Star Trek Four. Also haven't seen that. And Top Gun. Seen that, but I don't like it. So this is obviously between Platoon and Aliens for me, and I'm going to give it to Aliens. <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth i too will give this to aliens the sound design in that film is magical sublime and this is one of the rare sequels that stands up against the original and it's just as good or better oh yeah it's yeah that that is an endless debate i will never quite be able to answer it really is depending on the day yeah it's like it's like terminator t2 you know it's like yeah i mean I'm just grateful we have two great movies. Yeah, there you go. Just be happy you get to have it, all of it. Yeah, because more often than not, it's shit. You know, a sequel is shit. And I think, yeah, I think there's there's a few. My personal favorite is probably Spider-Man 2, where I'm like, I think that's better than the first one. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah, it's fun to talk about those those sequels that, and a- Aliens is at the, you know, it's at the top of that pop culture list of everyone knows, you know, it, all they did was add an S to the title and it's, it's a damn near perfect movie. So, and, and yeah, not just because I love it, but because it, again, like you said, it, it utilizes these parts of filmmaking tremendously. Yeah. Uh, pl- Platoon's no joke though. I get why I won. I mean, it's I mean, the, the sun sounds of the guns all moving at once and, and, and flares and grenades and guys screaming like, yeah, that's, that's, that must've been some, some long work days. I can understand. I can. Um. I can see Top Gun having a chance here too. I. Yeah. Yeah. The movie's not great. I get. You know, people have kind of forgotten that for some reason. But um, the jets, like that's no joke. They really are like doing a great job there. So I get why that might be considered. And then, I I don't remember a lot of distinct sounds from Star Trek Four apart from like the sparkling of the teleporter, but uh. I'm glad it's here. I always like a genre film to have an Oscar nomination. It just makes me smile. Uh, and I got to see Heartbreak Ridge. I know that's Clint Eastwood. Yeah, that's yeah, that is that is Clint doing his thing. Um, just haven't ever like really come across this movie. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. So aliens. But yeah, yeah, aliens. I think we're yeah we're on the same page. Um, good amount tonight. How about best film editing? Here we go. We've seen all these. We have Platoon as the winner. Aliens, Hannah and her sisters. Why? Um, why? Why is that going against Platoon and Aliens? I do. I do like the way this movie moves, but compared to Platoon and Aliens, come on. Uh, the Mission, now and Top Gun. Mm, now, I think this is between Platoon and Aliens again. Clearly, this is, this is weird. Like this is a it's weird a Platoon bunch. versus Aliens ceremony. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, shit. Uh, hmm. I'm going to give this one to platoon. Yeah. It go it goes over like a, over a year. Yeah. Like aliens, you know, very succinct, very well made. But I think when, 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 when it comes to film editing for me, I'm always thinking of like 
what they had to, you know, the amount of footage to go through to compile a yeah. coherent film. And I bet Platoon, I'll bet Oliver Stone does not seem like a one and done take kind of guy. No, no, no. He, he seems like a guy who's got like 45 cameras at once. Let's get the best angle. You know, he's got that Tony Scott thing going on. He's like, <laughs> let me figure out what's going to look the best. And, you know, you got, you got camera A, camera B, camera C, D, D, you know, E, F, G, oh, on, on, on down the line. You have the whole fucking alphabet. And, uh, you know, I respect that. I like a guy who's got a clear vision and knows like, no, this is where I want to put things and this is how it's going to go. But yeah, I agree with you. I think Oliver Stone's probably like a little annoying on set. <laughs> I've heard he's a, he's, he's a bit of a, a bit of a nut. Yeah. Yeah. So I get that. Um, but yeah, I, I can understand this taking film editing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So hats off to Claire Simpson. God bless you. Uh, I'm sure your job wasn't easy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Last one. This is a good one. Best director. Of course, Oliver Stone won for Platoon. Uh, beat David Lynch for Blue Velvet. Oof. Woody Allen for Hannah and Her Sisters. Uh, Roland Hoffa. Hoff, I don't know if you... The J is silent, it seems like there. I'm not sure. For The Mission. And uh, James Ivory for Room with a View. Um, this also, to me, is a two-man race between Stone and Lynch. Yeah, I think so. Roland Joffe, 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 yeah, I don't know. Joffe, yeah, now it's gonna bother me. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, this is uh, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. He's the guy who directed The Killing Fields, too. So, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, you want to talk maybe about a should... rough watch? That's that, that's one I'm not looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, it'll come about you know organically at some point. Um, 1984 just a couple years before here. So yeah, that'll, that'll come one day. Um, well, I know that story and that is one of the saddest cases of just a globally ignored genocide. That is absolutely horrifying. Um, yeah. So Woody Allen, I feel like at some point became kind of like the Meryl Streep of writing where they're just like, Oh, they've got another one. Give them a nomination. Not to say like Meryl doesn't deserve a lot of those nominations. I do just think at ah. this point it's like obligatory. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Um, well, I love, I love, 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 love. You know me more than anybody with this kind of stuff. Uh, I really, really dig the legacy and historical side of the Oscars and kind of counting up and figuring out like who's racked up the most, yeah. most wins or most nominations. But man, I mean, you just think about in any given year, has Meryl Streep really had over 20 performances that were of the best five from the whole year out of hundreds of movies that came out? There's just, it's impossible. That's impossible to do. I love some of her movies. Now, I'm a huge fan of her role in Sophie's Choice and Kramer's Kramer. The Iron Lady, take it or leave it. But there's other stuff down the line that I that I really dig. I haven't seen them all, and she's great, and she's so like so fun to root for. But there's no way. And same with Woody Allen. There's no fucking way this guy was the best writer that many times, or the best director that many times. Just it's impossible in a world where Alfred Hitchcock doesn't have a win. How do we live in a world where Woody Allen has double digit nominations? Like I, I don't get it. Yeah, I've never quite understood that. And now that I've started watching his movies, I understand it even less. 
Yeah, exactly. It's like we're watching the work. We're not just bullshitting. We're not just spitballing here. Like, like we've. I don't think either of us go out of our way to watch Woody Allen, but he's come up on the show a few times. I think we were both pleasantly surprised by Purple Rose of Cairo. We were like, that was pretty. That was pretty good. Yeah. And her sisters, there's some decent stuff going on. But, I mean, <laughs> compared to other people, we've 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 kind of you know discovered through this show, not even close. No, I you know I am gonna give this to Stone. I just yeah yeah makes sense. He he poured a lot into Platoon. It is very well constructed. Um, yeah, I totally get that. I I, I do too. You know me. I'm I'm a, I'm a big uh, big Lynch guy, but um, Platoon is two hours of like Jesus Christ type filmmaking. Just blow you away almost like borderline must see type stuff and blue velvet is not really in that in my opinion i think there's gonna be some people who just don't respond to blue velvet but platoon is 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 tough to like it's tough to watch platoon and not feel something not feel a certain way not have that kind of like pulsating like whoa like holy shit uh this is this is crazy and I tend to think that 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 should win best picture or director or whatever i, I tend to think that movies that everyone can feel a certain way about should be recognized. And so platoon, I'm it's crazy to say, but I think the Oscars got it right this year with some of these. Uh, I think platoon like genuinely deserved four or five wins and eight or nine nominations. Truly. Yeah. I'm not going to argue that it's, it's an American classic for a reason. It, it is, it's, it's a remarkable film that uh, I, I, I want to, I want to feel more, towards so i am gonna revisit it but um yeah this is in a decade that's pretty like you know recognizable for just subpar work when it comes to the academy it's nice to have one where it was deserved yeah for sure i think it's very 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 clear that amadeus 1984 is the best best picture winner from the 80s but platoon is is knocking on the door and you know, you got, yeah, you got Rain Man. It's fine. I'm not crazy about it. You got, you know, Driving Miss Daisy. Yikes. Uh, Last Emperor is like five hours. Uh, you know what I mean? In terms of endearment, pretty good. Decent. Ordinary people, decent. But Platoon is, is like up there for the 80s. It really is up there. I think Gandhi won in 82. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's... I don't know. I, I think Platoon and Amadeus are our best chance to have conversations like this about all kinds of stuff and, and involving filmmaking and life. And that's kind of the point doing it. So I had a blast. This is a great episode. Um, these, these showdowns are always, you just never know what we're going to get. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's always a pleasure. Oh yeah, man. Well, the gauntlet continues on Wednesday. Night of the Living Dead on Filmgasm, episode 197. We're getting close to that 200, knocking out some heavy fucking hitters. So Wednesday, just stick with us. We're doing we're doing a, a, a absolute classic. Uh, <laughs> can't say the same about <laughs> beyond, beyond the Bad, uh, but I do actually think this movie is quite funny. Uh, Sex Drive, episode 28, coming up on f- Friday. I watched this movie like stone out of my mind with some friends and we were like, what the hell are we doing? 
feel like that's the only way a lot of people watch this movie. A hundred percent. You're just you're like scrolling through options, and you're like, oh, this looks weird, <laughs> and you click on it. Uh, so yeah, that'll that'll be interesting. Um, and then next week, we're changing. We're definitely doing a big pivot here, doing something neither of us have seen. That's that's pretty rare that we do that. Uh, we haven't done that since I don't know Shanghai Express. Like that feels like a while ago now. So. Looking forward to this. 1964, Woman in the Dunes, uh, Japanese film. Uh, I believe received two nominations at the 38th Academy Awards, but it also might be one of those foreign films that was up in one ceremony and then up in another. So whatever. That's not my main concern. My main concern is watching this movie that neither of us have seen, that I've heard is absolutely epic. Uh, and we're also going to talk about Japanese movies. Um, so that'll be really cool. We've never really dug into that stuff. And they have some of the most talented motherfuckers to ever do it over there. So I'm like wicked excited to finally kind of go into that. Um, Woman in the Dunes is on Criterion right now. Maybe HBO Max. I don't know, but check it out if you can and come back. Just HP, just Criterion. Yeah, I I, I double checked. Yeah. Uh, Criterion's it. But uh, if you want to rent it, you can on uh, Apple TV, I believe. Oh, there you go. That's, that's always an option. Yeah, I've heard it's not going to let you down. Uh, it's got crazy good scores across the board and all kinds of different, you know, letterbox, Rotten Tomatoes, all that jazz. So I'm super excited. It's going to be a lot of fun, but um, another best picture showdown in the books. So thank you guys for listening and come back on Wednesday for night of living death.